Yeah, I am not superwoman. I'm far, far from it. My husband would be the first to vouch for that. Um, I have an incredibly supportive husband. So um, he's always been just an incredible partner in helping me make all of this happen. And this is definitely a team effort. Um, I couldn't do this without his 150% support. Hey folks, Jason Witten here, your host of The Wealth Faculty. And today I got a chance to sit down with Amelia Lee the undercover architect. She's been an architect for over 25 years and started her career out in the world of big business and corporate. Uh, loved it, but uh, ultimately, eventually, it didn't fit in with her family life. And then Amelia and her husband made the move, made the change from corporate to self-employed, uh, putting their family first, uh, and then building a business from where they lived. Uh, and very successfully, the undercover architect was born and Amelia has been helping coach and support uh, homeowners build properties. She says homes or houses are more than just a house, they're homes, they're places we feel safe and special in. And uh, if you do it right, you can uh, get an amazing outcome. She's an amazing lady. She has been uh, to our mentoring program, coached our clients. Uh, we've personally used her uh, on a number of projects, things we're looking at building. She's an amazing lady. We had a chat today about the process, uh, her journey, the process of how to make sure you get a good project sorted for an amazing home. And now she's setting off on an amazing journey now to create uh, or change the way small builders uh, around Australia, small to medium builders, engage with their home uh, owners who they're building for uh, to really get an amazing outcome. So fantastic chat today. Uh, listen up, uh, you'll, you'll learn a lot. And I hope you enjoy this episode of The Wealth Faculty with Amelia Lee. Amelia Lee, welcome to The Wealth Faculty Podcast. Great to have you on today. Thank you so much. It's fantastic to be here. Yeah, haven't seen you for a little while. Um, I'm sure you've been busy. <laughs> I know, we haven't seen each other in quite a while. Yeah, last year was an interesting year for everyone, wasn't it? But I loved seeing your regular Facebook coffee chats and seeing you share with your community your thoughts about where the future of property investment and those kinds of things were going. It was always really interesting to watch. Yeah, awesome, mate. Uh, it was a, it was an interesting year and uh, I hope uh, it all went well for you. From what I can tell with all of your online programs and courses, it seems to be going from strength to strength. So well done for you. But Thank uh, you thanks so for joining us today. Yeah, yeah on, on the Wealth Faculty, you know, a little bit of a, a play on uh, the word wealth faculty for us is the the faculties of, you know, your own, you know, uh, being, body, health and spirit, and then the faculties of the people you surround yourself with and, you know, our community of property investors and, and homeowners and, uh, and someone who's important to be on their faculty is someone like you, an architect, someone who understands how to design properties to be healthy and wealthy at the same time. So I'm, I'm really excited to dig into that today. And um, you've been um, an architect for over 25 years um, and uh, done over 250 projects. So I'm really keen to sort of, you know, share with the community even further your experiences about your world of architecture, design and uh, making sure homes are healthy. But hey, listen, can you just kick off and give the listeners a background of where it all started for you? I mean, you know, not to be, you know, uh, um, I know inappropriate, but architecture is usually a male-dominated area rather than, you know, as so, you know, how did it all work for you? What, how did you choose, you know, architecture for you? Is it a passion that's always been there? 
Yeah, I uh, I was fortunate. I grew up in a house with a mum that was a bit of a serial renovator. She was always up a, a ladder painting and changing the interior and exterior of our home on quite a regular basis. And uh, she's only five foot and half an inch tall. So she <laughs> had to deal a lot with uh, tradespeople who didn't really believe that she was either, she was a single parent as well. So they wouldn't do work for her because they thought she couldn't pay the bill or they'd asked to speak to her husband or, right. you know, and I spent many a weekend on the bottom half of the wall and her on the top half of the wall painting the inside or the outside of our home. And um, it was, you know, she just always made the place look as nice and she was incredibly creative and, and uh, yeah, she's still, she's in her seventies and she still does up properties. So <laughs> she's a, she's a an inspiration for you very much so and and so um you know that was part about my sort of upbringing and and when it came to leaving school I knew I wanted to do something creative I looked into advertising for a while and I did some work experience and decided I wasn't really that wrapped with the uh, people that I (laughs) were in that industry and I (laughs) knew that I, I wanted to do something that was pragmatic as well as artistic so architecture just seemed a really good marriage of both of those things. I went to an all-girls school and we were kind of led to believe not to just not pay attention to whether an industry was male-dominated or not. Um, yeah, good. And interestingly, the the degrees are all half-half, even some of them are majority female. It's just that the career path is very challenging in terms of balancing family, being inside a big practice. You know, those, those first uh, sort of decade of working, you do ridiculous hours in order yeah. to sort of do your apprenticeship inside the industry. And you finish your degree and you still have to work for a minimum of two years and sit a bunch of written and oral exams to get registered as an architect. So mm. it's a, a career pathway that a lot of women just find is at odds with how they want to be in terms of having kids and having a family. But for me, yeah, yeah. I think I always just, um, I did have romantic ideas. I think it was growing up on the Brady Bunch saying, you know, Mr. Brady with working from the home office as an architect. Um, I thought I'd be working from home, having kids under the table. It's not been like that, but I've been very fortunate to be able to craft a career where I can balance it with my family and I can still help people in the way that I want to. So I did the traditional thing. I went from my degree, I worked throughout, I worked through probably the last half of my degree inside an architectural practice and did a lot of work on the Olympic site at that point. We were lead consultants over the Sydney Olympic in, site. In, in Sydney, in yeah. Sydney. Yep. Yeah, so yep. all of the public domain. So all the lighting towers that you see down the main boulevard, um, the practice I worked for did all of those. And it was a baptism by fire because I just I got thrown in the deep end. You have a deadline, you can't move. Decisions have to be made. It was an incredible experience as a young graduate. And I got given a lot of responsibility and it was just fantastic. And then I travelled overseas. I worked in London in architecture for a while and then came back and relocated to Brisbane with my now husband, who he and I are both Australian but met whilst we were um, travelling overseas. And I started working in uh, residential practices in, uh, in Brisbane. And I moved into, I got quite frustrated by the fact that it seemed that the people that were writing the checks got to make all the decisions in what our built environment looked like. And so I actually did some postgraduate studies in property economics at QUT and right. and then moved uh, into Mervac into their in-house design team, which at that stage was called HPA, with the view to basically moving into development. And um, I started working inside HPA and just loved the way that we got to sit at the table with the decision makers in a way that was really collaborative and cooperative and really drive design from financial metrics as well as from lifestyle metrics. You know, Mervac's got an incredible 
uh, belief in terms of all of its properties that always aims to sell one in five to return buyers. It usually averages at about two to three uh, return purchases. So they have this whole of life cycle in terms of from sales and marketing right through to customer relations, you know, back to design about what it looks like for somebody to live and own a Mervac property so that they come back and they want to buy a well-designed, fantastically built, great quality, you know, after-service sales, all that kind of stuff. Um, And so it was just extraordinary as an architect to be part of that. So I was there for about seven years, part of their senior design team, did a lot of really big projects, um, all residential. And then um, the GFC hit, of course, and uh, a a group of us that were in the leadership team got offered positions in Sydney and instead we decided to start up our own practice, which was DC8 Studio. And I was one of six uh, directors. We very quickly built the studio to 20. We had an office in Brisbane and in Sydney. We're on the BRW Fast Starters list, a state finalist in the Telstra Business Awards. And I think I, my, I, I think uh, about, it was the end of 2013, I went on a not-for-profit, uh, I went on a leadership and immersion trip with Business Chicks and The Hunger Project. So Business okay. Chicks is the women's uh, business yes. networking organisation. It's got tens yep. of thousands of members. Uh, the Hunger Project is a not-for-profit that uh, focuses on ending hunger and poverty, and it believes that it can do this by empowering those that are most impacted by hunger and poverty uh, through education, works on a very low investment, very high impact ratio. And we had to fundraise as part of going on this uh, this trip. And then uh, we travelled to Uganda. And I spent two and a half weeks in Uganda with a group of 20 other women had had all raised, you know, we'd all, I'd teamed up with a friend and we'd raised $25,000. Um, and it literally picked up my life like a plastic bag and shook it out on the ground. <laughs> so, wow, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. What do you want to pick up again? <laughs> and at the time, my kids were six, four, and two. Uh, we were living in Brisbane. We'd we'd also been renovating properties ourselves. So my husband and I, we'd argued over who was going to get to stay home with the kids. We didn't want to put them in childcare. So this is the thing. I'd always sort of shape stuff around trying to be the mum I wanted to be, yeah. and. So we'd renovated three homes in Brisbane as part of, you know, over a 12-year period. So we'd lived in construction sites, you know, had kitchens in <laughs> bathrooms for eight months, you know, all that kind of stuff, like just Gone through uh, it all. everything yeah. that, you know, living in one room <laughs> and doing it all with tiny toddlers who all learned to climb ladders before they walked. So, um, and so, you know, we'd got to the end of this sort of period and then I'd gone on the trip to Uganda and we just put the last house on the market and it was a house in Ashgrove in Brisbane we turned a 100-square-metre Art Deco house into something that was over 400 square metres. It had taken us about three and a half years to do. We'd lived in it for a lot of the time and um, it had just almost uh, demolished both my husband and I. He was on site every day. He's a physio by trade, but he'd taken time off to do this project. Yeah. And um, we'd just seen this as a more financially viable way of us earning an income than both of us trying to work and sticking our kids in childcare. That's what worked for us. So... Um, yeah, so got to all of the end of this and it was just a really big chance to reassess where we were going. We dreamed of living in the Byron hinterland for about nine years. We'd looked every time we'd finished off a renovation. It just never been the right time. And I came back from this trip in, in Uganda and said, it's it's not ever going to be the right time. We're never going to have enough yes. money. We just need to make the call and do it. And so I think within a week, I told my business partners I needed to leave the business um, they fortunately gave me six months to be able to exit so we could do that smoothly. We looked around for a property and we lit- it all literally came together in the last week. So it was, fires. Yeah, <laughs> it was just extraordinary. So uh, we, yeah, we moved here at the beginning of July in 2014. And 
I knew that when I moved here, I'm the breadwinner for our family. So I knew that I was going to need a way to earn an income. I looked everywhere else but architecture for, very, for quite some time. And somebody very wise said to me, you know, your skills, your skills and experience in architecture aren't easily replicable. You should look at doing something with that. And I looked at the model of empowerment through education that had worked so well for the Hunger Project and was working so yeah. well and yeah. literally changing lives for generations. And I thought about how it could apply to my own industry. And that's how Undercover Architect was really born. It was a case of seeing that I was always meeting people too late. They were either not using a designer or they were finding some cowboy or dodgy operator and not getting the right advice. Yes. And this, they only do this once or twice in their life when it's their family home. And it's a yeah, huge yeah. investment, biggest asset, probably the most you'll spend on anything. And people were stuffing it up left, right and centre and having a terrible experience. And I just knew that didn't have to happen. I'd seen what happened when you have the right team around you and you're informed and educated and guided through the process. And so Undercover Architect was really about being people's secret ally, about empowering them, particularly women, because they're making 80% of the purchasing decisions as they do in most yeah. industries, but they're doing it inside a male-dominated industry with, you know, burly blokes who can be very stuck in just this is the way we always do things and, it's, uh, and, and just really feel out of their depth and confused and like they have a target on their forehead waiting to be taken advantage of. So... Um, I just started blogging and made a commitment to keep blogging. And then that's grown, of course, into online courses and to the podcast. And now we have tens of thousands um, globally who tune in to Undercover Architect and who I will never meet, but am helping them, you know, create better homes that function really well, that are well-designed, that, you know, suit the orientation of their site and just create better lifestyles for them overall and a much better outcome for their investments. Mate, it's huge the, the ripple effect of you know that one that one trip and then the knock-on effect to where you are now. It's a, it's a fantastic journey to hear. It's, it's exciting. So and you, you, the timing was was probably almost perfect too in that world of being able to work from home and reach you know the whole world through online and those sorts of things. It's only gotten you know so much easier and better over the last six six eight years uh, since you started that. So well done, mate. So that uh, that's awesome. So now. Um, you know, you're helping people all over the world. And, uh, you know, most of the time, uh, it's a renovation idea that most people come to you with, you know, you, you're helping them troubleshoot, you know, uh, I was just telling you just off air, uh, or Marcus just off air about, uh, you know, we've had a chat with you, my wife Shay's had a chat with you about our place. And, uh, you know, we've been umming and ahhing about renovating our house for probably a 10 years, you know, and we'd we'd get there and we want to start and then be like, oh, no, I don't want to live at a construction site. And then we go, well, we should move somewhere. And then we've got stuff everywhere, like motorbikes, boats, trailers, you name it, everything in our house. And, you know, we, we've just ummed and ahhed for 10 years. So, you know, that's very common, by what, the way. Yeah, <laughs> very I common. Say, I was actually getting <laughs> nerves in my tummy when you were saying, oh, everyone lived in one room and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Very common. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, you know, I, I'm sure it's common. Um, you know, well, what, what would be, you know, take us back to, you know, if someone wanted to sort of listen in and sort of get a big overview about, you know, maybe what are the biggest mistakes when people make when they're approaching a reno and give us some sort of tips or guidance in before we get started, some things to consider. Yeah, I think that the challenge is, is that a lot of people will do that thing. Of they'll think about it for a very, very long time. You know, minimum I find is two years, but generally it is. Yeah. It's a decade, and and then 
And they'll be scouting around, you know, looking online, scrolling Instagram, saving all this inspiration with no real framework to it as to whether any of it's realistic for their life, their budget, their location. Yet when they decide, okay, now we're going to do it, it all has to happen yesterday. And so they run it at like a bull at a gate and they're really ill-prepared to navigate the industry and to navigate the process. Mm. So my feeling is that whatever stage you're at in terms of the research that you're doing is creating a framework for yourself so you can be far more productive with the research and actually find out meaningful things that are going to help you in your journey rather than confuse and overwhelm you. We are fed a diet of reality television and instant makeovers (laughs) and all sorts of things that paint paint an incredibly unrealistic picture for what it's like to renovate or build a home. And I find my audience is half-half, they're renovation and new build. And so it's, um, it's really interesting to see people just grapple with that first kind of realisation, uh, you know, in all the years I've been doing this, I find that what people want to do and the money that they want to spend on it, their budget is generally about 50 to 75% of where it needs to be to match the dreams mm. that they have for their home. The gap's you know? massive. Yeah. 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 And people are always yeah. saying, oh, renovating will cost you twice as much as you expect and it'll, you know, take you twice as long. And it's like, no, it's just our expectations are so mismatched with reality because of yeah, just, yeah. yeah, what we're... And I think too, we've all got this innate belief that we should know how to do this. We all live in houses, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what it is. It, I, everybody comes to me and sort of says, I, I just thought this would be easier. I thought that I'd have half a clue. And the, the more I scratch the surface, the more I find out I don't know. Don't and, know. you know, and it is that thing. So people are really fearful about what it's going to cost. They're really fearful about how much time it's going to take. They're incredibly fearful about stuffing it up because they know that the long-term impacts are something they're going to have to live with, uh, that are going to financially impact them, that are going to lifestyle impact them. And then they also start to realize that they just don't know what they don't know. So I think if you can get some good, uh, you know, framework around the research that you're doing and start to piece together what are the steps of the process that you're going to need to travel through? What does it look like to get from A to Z of any project journey, wherever you're at? And the first thing is actually finding out what you're allowed to do. You know, what what are you actually allowed to do with your project? What is council going to let you do? What are building codes going to let you do? And um, that can vary from site to site, from house to house, from location to location. And real estate agents aren't the best ones to believe in terms of what they tell you that you're, you can no. do to your property. <laughs> so, yeah, you their know, knowledge might be a little bit more uh, lacking than we require. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the, what is it, subject to council approval that always goes on the little disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, it's the, the big disclaimer, listing. isn't it? Yeah, you can develop <laughs> this, no problems. <laughs> STCA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. Um, so yeah, and that and that for me is the very first step. And then it's getting a really, really good team around you. So a lot of people try and do this alone. And yeah. and it's uh it's a really messy thing to do because there's so many moving parts, so many pieces and components. And it works much better when you create a collaborative team that are all bringing their expertise and you are informed and educated to be an active collaborator as well, so that you can drive who, the process. Who would be who would be those team members? Because because um, at Positive we've got this thing called Six Star Team. You know, surround yourself with these experts for for uh, for investing, and and that sort of triggered me. So so who would whether it be five or ten or something experts or you know team members that you'd say right here's the top four or top five that you'd say to somebody you, you really need these people. Yeah, so my belief is that you definitely want to start with a designer of some sort. Um, So it may not be an architect. It depends on, you know, I'm very passionate on people choosing the right designer for them. Architects, of course, have a raft of additional training and legal liabilities and professional knowledge that 
that doesn't occur in other professionals professions in the industry, but it doesn't mean that they're for everyone. And just yep. because somebody's called an architect doesn't make them good at what they do, as is within the industry. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so very much. It's that's universal. Of, yeah, so it's very much a case of you finding out who the right designer is for you, be it a building designer or an architect, and then. Um, also finding a builder who's going to be willing to work with you during the design phase. So this is something I'm a big believer in. I'm not sure if you're aware, Jason, but I've also got another business called Live Life Build that we started last year where I work oh. with Dwayne Pierce, who's a builder in Queensland, and we have a coaching program to help builders run their businesses better. I nice. have a dream of building an army of builders who know how to take care of their homeowners so that I can then refer the undercover architect community to them, and this is part of that dream. So um, but we actually have a process that we teach called the Paters Consultant Process or the PAC process where builders can come and be involved in the pre-construction phase. They're paid as a consultant. They sit down at the design meetings. This is what we did inside Mervac. We always had somebody from construction and costing inside every design discussion. It's what happens in every other sector of the industry, but the single residential homeowner doesn't benefit from it and they can. Makes so, sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It just avoids all that drama of you creating a design, spending fortune on professional fees, approval fees, falling in love with something, emotionally moving into it, getting ready. You hit then tender phase and you go out to three or four different builders who don't know you from a bar of soap, have never seen your project before, may or may not be engaged in quoting it properly. And you find that it comes back two, three times over sometimes. Then you hit a contract and you're then legally committed to this person that you actually don't know very well and don't know how mm. they operate. Whereas when they're involved in the pre-construction phase, they can be providing cost and buildability feedback as you go through the design phase. They can be giving you ideas and options about what will streamline construction, what will improve the, you know, the, the buildability of it, what will lower your costs. It means that you can actually create a design that is on budget. It means too then that the builder starts the job understanding the design really intimately, what all those lines mean, what all your intentions and your visions and your dream are. You don't have a builder then arguing with you on site, questioning why something is the way that it is. You've got a design ambassador that understands the journey that it's taken to get to this Excellent. point. So much sense, yeah. And then, and then you just manage all your risk. If you're renovating in particular, this is incredible because they can do a bunch of due diligence on the house. They can inspect underfloors, in roofscapes, all that kind of stuff. So you don't get those nasty surprises when you start to pull the house apart that then throw your budget yeah. out. All of these kinds of things can happen and it's just something that, uh, you know, I'm really passionate about. So a designer and a builder, are you definitely your first two that you should yep. start your project with and you then will be able to move through that. Now, you're, of course, going to need a structural engineer. They're the only ones that are licensed to certify structure. So they can then be brought in as part of that collaborative team. But you want to find designers and builders who are going to help coordinate that structural engineer for you. It's not really yep. worth you trying to have that conversation because you won't be able to weed out all of the capacity and potential that you might um, if you unless you know for somebody who's inside the industry can do you may yes. also want an interior designer now interior design is a really tricky one because it's an unregulated industry somebody can just literally open up a business tomorrow and start calling themselves an interior designer so you just want to understand the qualifications of the person you're working with and the experience and their knowledge about construction and buildability and um, specifications and durability of products and all of those kinds of things yeah and um, then you may also want somebody like a landscape uh, architect or landscape designer to help integrate all of the exterior uh, design of the home um, plus, of course, there's going to be people like a town planner if you've got tricky town planning conditions and a building certifier or surveyor who will help you with your building approvals or your construction certificates as part of uh, getting uh, approval to, com to commence and complete construction. So they're there the main you could, cool ones. Yeah, there's, a, there's yeah. a few different ones. There's lots of different specialisations, but I find that they're sort of the main ones. And the main ones. And, and you'd probably say, like, they're my leadership team and then there's obviously plenty of other people 
that are going to be involved in the process that'll do things, but, you know, it'll come through those sort of, you know, five yeah, to six main people. Well, I find that the leadership team is really your designer and your builder. And then yes. all of those other consultants will jump in and out of the process as needed. Um, yeah, yeah, and if, yeah. you, if you've got a really good team around you, then your, your architect and uh, your designer and your builder will be the ones driving all of that interaction and collaboration. Um, and they'll be your true interface. It's really that trio of you, the client, them, the designer and the builder in a really strong partnership together and then trusting them to just make everything else happen that needs to. Yeah, nice. Well, you know, let's change gear a little bit about this this conversation from sort of practical into, you know, emotional. You, you say, you know, uh, plenty of times, you know, your home can be, you know, way more than just, you know, somewhere to leave accommodation. You know, what do you mean by that? Like, like give give the listeners a bit more of a feel. Like, I mean, obviously you're going to be, you know, oh, people live here for 30 years, you know, there's something uh, behind those words. What, what is it? Yeah, in all the years that I've been doing this, um, and I think a lot about the houses that I spent time in growing up as a kid and that I visited as friends, and I think everybody can do this. They can go back to the houses that they hung out with, you know, their friends with and that type of thing and start to think about what is the, the, the thing that they really remember about being in those houses. And I guarantee it's not going to be, oh, they had a really nice sofa or, oh, their kitchen was really smick or anything like that. It's actually going to be about the feeling that was existing in that home and that was facilitated by the way that that home worked and was designed. Um, I'll illustrate it with a story because I have a, my best friend going through uni was a guy named Tim who was one of four kids and his parents were both uh, professionals. They both worked full time and they had a set menu in their house. And my house, there was only three of us. It operated a, a little bit more haphazardly, you know, that kind of thing. There was such regimen in the Johnston's house. And I used to, when I was at uni for about four years, I was at dinner most Tuesday nights uh, at Tim's house because it was chicken snitchel night. And so, um, and there was just this, you know, beautiful routine to the way that it worked. And each kid had a job. And where we sat to eat dinner was at this round table that was in sort of this big open plan rumpus area that they'd added onto the back of their house. And I used to spend a lot of time at this home and there was a formal living and dining space up the front that was a, lot, a little bit cooler, um, but cosy during winter because they would have the fire going and those kinds of things. And, and it's only as I got to be a more experienced architect and I visited the home as a graduate architect that I started to look around and go, hang on, the reason that this space that we used to eat dinner in every night and we used to hang out in during the day felt so good was because it faced northeast. It had a beautiful quality of sunlight in it for most of the day. There was trees in the backyard that shaded it during the hot uh, summer sun. The rooms at the front were on the southern side, so they were actually really nice cool rooms when it was in summer and we could go there and hang out. The kitchen and the this, this uh, eating area were really well connected, so you never felt disconnected from each other when you were having um, conversations and those kinds of things, and functionally it worked really well. And there was just a really great indoor-outdoor connection from this space. And it was generous enough that there was room for all of us but it wasn't oversized so it never felt cavernous and noisy particularly when there was you know seven people having dinner so um and it, it just all of those things it had cork on the floor lots of soft furnishings in it you know and I think I always felt so at home and so comfortable in that house there was mm. nothing nothing high-end about it you know and it's the same with the house that I grew up in my mum always sought north-facing sites she never looked at anything else rather than you know north-facing to rear that was her real estate objective and she's still like that so 
it's really this thing that understanding that your feeling in a home can be driven from all of these actually pragmatic and functional things that you can achieve in the design. But when you actually focus on how you want to feel, it's going to help sift and filter all of the decision-making that you need to, to navigate. So, and it's interesting when I talk to people, you know, and I say to them, how do you want to feel in your home and how do you want others to feel when they come into your home? It's, they don't say to me, oh, I want them to be impressed or that, you know, I, I, want, I right. want the kitchen to glisten and I want the latest cutting edge technology or anything like that. They say to me, I want it to feel comfortable. I want it to feel relaxing. I want it to feel welcoming. You know, I want there to be space for me to curl up with a book and those kinds of things. And that's, that kind of stuff is achievable on any budget. So it's really about you getting clear and focused on how do you want it to feel and how do you want to feel in it? And then thinking about the other things that will come from that. And I think then you actually create a place that's a home, not a house, and something yes. that will last and be timeless for you um, and be the place that, you know, you really want to celebrate and hang out and that just rewards you for all of the hard work that you've done in your life. It's that relaxing yeah, place that you not. come home to at the end of every day. So, I mean, our I homes need that. to. They need to restore yeah. us every day. So, yeah. Well, well, you spend a lot of time in them, don't you? And and, and that's, you know. They, they, More now so, than ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last little bit in COVID, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, and you know, I'm just sort of listening in there. It's kind of like you know, making sure that we don't get stuck on the things, but more about how the home makes us feel and and the the energy re re restoring process makes so much sense because you're dead right. I was just thinking about that. The things that triggered me with my nana and pop, and you know, and they lived in very very you know modest houses and and the energy and the 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 love in those places. You know, um, you're dead right. So which is, which is awesome. So, you know, when when you've been helping people, does is there a time or a point where you can sort of suggest or or share or shed some light on where you go, right, at this point it's better to knock it over and start again, you know? Um, and, and I'm probably asking this question selfishly right now for me. It's like I'm just looking at our house going, well, <laughs> just, just bowl it over and build a brand new one. Why, why, why do we renovate, you know? So is there something you can share? Oh, you're asking the wrong person because I'm a diehard <laughs> renovator. So, and, and the thing for me is that, you know, uh, it's, I think it's really a case of assessing the existing home and seeing how hard is it going to be for you to change it into a working functional home that works yeah. on all different levels. So I have five Fs when it comes to home design. So the feeling is one, functionality is another, and that's looking at orientation and the functionality of all the spaces. Flexibility, so how flexible your spaces are adaptable for not only everyday use, but as you change as a family over the decades you might be living in a home. Um, furnishability, which is just the pure factor of being able to fit your furniture into your home. And I can talk a bit more about why it's really important to decide on that as you're designing. And then flow, and that's about the connections between spaces, the connection to outside, and also the disconnection that you want to create between spaces. So you've got acoustic and visual privacy when you need it within your home and beyond your home and so I think that when you look at an existing house that you might be considering renovating it's a case of looking at it and going okay are we going to have to pull this entire house apart in order to put it back together or yeah. um, and get it to work for us is it facing completely the wrong direction you know is it um, is the is does it sit on a, in, in a weird place on the block of land other I mean I've found people have had services infrastructure that just is going to cost such a fortune to upgrade that it's cost prohibitive for them to be able to do it I think too you need to look at the area that you're located in as well you, this is always it's always got to have a financial aspect to it so even though it might be your long-term forever home you might be planning on never selling it 
You never know what's around the corner and this is money yes. you could be spending on anything. So you really need to be objective and the under, understanding the financial calcs of it will help you have some objectivity. So the real estate equation of looking, is your area full of brand new homes? Is it full of older homes that have been renovated? Does council enable you to knock down and rebuild it or is it prohibitive and very difficult pathway for you? So there's lots of factors that can come into play about it uh, and considering whether it's going to be suitable. I also find that some people are, like I said, I'm a diehard renovator. I look at an existing home. I can't imagine it all going to landfill. I can't imagine yeah. not trying to breathe new life into it and give it a chance to live on. But some people just want to live in a brand new home that nobody else has ever lived in before. So there's, you know, you also might have a foot in one camp as to what kind of person you are too. Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense. And uh, as you say it, like I, I actually, I'm not actually, a new home doesn't appeal to me because it doesn't feel like a home. It just feels like a house and, you know, breathing new life into something uh, really sort of resonates with me. So I might might write that one down, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you need <laughs> to have it on your mirror got. or something so you remind yourself of why yeah, you did this. Yeah, keep yourself motivated. I've got to have you on my hotline on the mobile going, <laughs> really, I'm, I'm thinking of something different. Uh, that's great. So, so um, you know, like when things go wrong in the middle of a renovation, you know, can, can you fix things, you know, if, you, if you're rolling in and it's a bit of a disaster zone and, you know, can you fix all plans and, you know, things that have gone wrong, <laughs> you know, how does that work? It all just comes down to time and money. Like seriously, yeah. that's at the end of yeah. the day, it just comes down to those two things. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of either of those, then you do a lot of preparatory work to make sure that when you start construction, you won't have unanticipated surprises or, uh, you know, things go wrong. So the thing is that there's, you know, there's four stages to every project. So there's before you begin, which is all the stuff that you do before you even start designing, the things that you need to find out about your property and its constraints, you know, what you're going to do about your team, uh, what you're going to figure out in terms of what you're actually your goals are so that you've got some big picture ideas of why you're doing this project so that you've got that to stay keep as your keel as you run through the mm. project and to come back to time and time again and give you that helicopter view then there's the designing phase and really nutting out you know working with a designer or a lot of homeowners do design their own homes so thinking about how you're going to get that design right make sure that it works for those five f's that i spoke about then there's yeah. before you build, which is getting all of the nitty gritty together, all of your specifications, bringing forward as much decision making as you can, making all of those selections before you start construction. So many people delay all of that decision making till construction started and they put a lot of yeah. undue stress on themselves and also a lot of risk at blowing out their budgets. And then there's the build phase. Now, the, and where you obviously see construction and get to watch your home be completed. Now, most people, when they think about building and renovating, they're all focused on the build stage, choosing a builder and how am I going to navigate construction? and they forget that there's all these phases before and the thing is that your success in the construction phase is, your, is dependent on the work that you're doing in those first three phases and the idea is that you get super prepared during those first three phases and get as much decision making done and everything locked in before you sign a contract so construction just happens like clockwork it just goes very smoothly and if you've got a builder that's been involved in the design phase, then you can mitigate a lot of the risks that ordinarily happen. That being said, though, it's a complex process. It's lots of moving parts, people, things. Things do and can go wrong. But I find that if you've actually done your preparation in those first three stages, you're in a much better mindset 
and uh, position to be able to handle those challenges in a much more streamlined fashion. And if you've got the right team around you, they just become hiccups, not massive speed bumps and derailment exercises. So, but the worst thing you can do, and unfortunately it's what a lot of people do, is they don't wrap their head around what their design looks like whilst it's lines on a page. They wait till that happens, till they see it in real life, and then they decide that they don't like it and want to change things. It's much cheaper to change things when they're lines on a page than when they're building walls on a site. You, in, once in the builder starts and turns dirt, you do, just yeah. want to leave them to do their job. So Yeah, yeah. It, it, I've heard it many a time. You know, they rub their hands together with the variation in the middle of things like, you beauty, I'll make some more profit. Uh, well, well, and there's, well, there it, are builders, they're builders that lowball quotes knowing that yeah. they'll make back the extra with the variations because the variation yeah. margin is built into the contract at a much higher percentage. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, we've seen that so many times. We've, you know, it's probably well over 2,000 houses we've helped investors build across Australia. And, you know, in the early days, 18 years ago, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, you'd lock everything down right at the start was unheard of. And then, you know, for the last, you know, 1,900 of them, like it's been locked down well in advance. Like there's not another cent, you know, so it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Preparation and good team. And, and uh, I think that's... Uh, that's where we sort of uh, resonate quite strongly, uh, you know, in, in our respective fields for sure, mate. Very but, much so. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, um, you, know, you know, listening to all the stuff you've got going on, you know, um, super successful podcast, you know, your online learning um, system, you know, the, the the building coaching that you're doing, you know, you're, you've got three kids and marriage. So how do you how do you balance all this? You know, there's a lot of <laughs> listeners listening in go, where does Amelia Lee find the time? She must be superwoman. What's going on? So give us, <laughs> a, give not- us a little bit of an insight on, you know, the faculties on the other side here. You know, how do you manage yeah. that uh, to be in your world? Yeah, I am not superwoman. I'm far, far from it. My husband would be the first to vouch for that. Um, I have an incredibly supportive husband. So um, he's always been just an incredible partner in helping me make all of this happen. And this is definitely a team effort. Um, I couldn't do this without his 150% support. Um, And he does the lion's share of stuff at home. We live on an 80-acre property, so he um, does that. But he's uh, also um, pursuing his own things as well. So he's just got a certification in a type of energy healing called spinal flow and is um, you know, sort of re- reinvigorating his work life and those types of things too. So um, our kids, um, I don't know, we just, we don't overschedule our lives. And, um, you know, my kids do, I, my kids do extracurricular activities, but we've always been very careful about not having them doing boatloads of things so that, because when you get in a car here, you generally have to travel a fair bit of a distance Yeah. and we all love being at home. So, you know, since moving here, we've become really big homebodies. And so it just suits us to be, you know, my, my best times are just the five of us hanging out, just doing our thing. So um, I have a really good team. So again, it's that team um, and, uh, but they're all remote from me. Um, so I have a, a virtual assistant who's in the Philippines, who's been with me for um, probably almost four years now. And then I have an online business manager who started with me last year, who's been an incredible addition to the team. And then I have contractors for web stuff and for podcasting. And, um, and yeah, my business partner and I, with Live Life Build, we just sort of managed to share it as we go. So I think too, you just, when you are clearly driven by a bigger purpose, it doesn't, it does, doesn't feel like, I don't know, you just manage to expand time, I think. And yeah. I've been working with an incredible mentor for the past few months and he's been teaching us so much about the importance of the energy that you bring to what you're doing. So many people out there are just hustling, throwing mud at a wall, you know, frenetically figuring out what they're going to do and just 
constantly driving to achieve success. And what he's teaching us instead is that he actually said this amazing thing of we are all in the business of selling relaxation. It doesn't matter what niche you're in, doesn't matter who you work for, doesn't matter what you're doing. It ultimately boils down to relaxation. And if you don't meet that with the same level of energy, you are going to limit the abundance that's available to you. And so I've been finding, I've been really focusing on what actually helps me feel more relaxed, what what helps me have more fun in my life. And this has been, you know, it's been years in the making of me taking off layers and layers of those, of those, you know, ingrained beliefs that it's only worth it if you've worked hard for it. And it's only worth it if you've slogged your guts out, you know. But I think when you put your ladder up against the right mountain, you really believe in what you're doing uh, and you're really driven, you know, I'm, I'm on a mission to change the way that we build and renovate homes in Australia and beyond. And um, it's just, yeah, it just, I don't know, it just happens. Saying that though, I live, breathe and eat, like, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be out on a weekend somewhere and a business idea will pop into my head. You know, it's not like there's, I don't really believe in, I suppose, demarcation and balance and compartmentalization or anything like that. I think when you own your own business, everything bleeds into everything else. My kids are really understanding. They, you know, they've always known mum on a computer. So, um, and at the same time, I'm able at a moment's notice to go into school for something or that kind of stuff. So flexibility in our life has been really key. Freedom in our life has been really key, fun as well. And it's just really been, it's not always been perfect. It's been far from it. I am very, I will very easily, if I didn't have anybody here, I reckon I could sit at a computer for 18 hours a day. Um, So it's actually hard for me to step away from it um, because I just like getting stuff done. But yeah, yeah, but I have four people here reminding me of all of the incredible things that I have in my life and the whole reason I'm doing all of this. So, yeah. That's, that's wonderful. You know, powered by purpose, really, you know, um, one of my, all-time heroes, a, a fellow called John Wood. I interviewed him not so long ago from room to read, and he's so passionate about it. And I love it. I can hear it in, in your voice, which is awesome. One of the reasons why, why I wanted to connect. And many of the people I've interviewed, you know, you say, well, you know, well, why do you keep working? Why do you work so hard? Why don't you get balance? You know, where's your me time and stuff like this? And, and, and you know, I'm not making any fun of that, but a lot of people, it sounds like you too, like, exactly like me. I'm like, what do you mean? There's no Monday to Friday in my life. This is my life. And, and my life is all, it's all in. It's all mixed in the bucket and I'm going for it, you know, and, and I love doing it. You know, sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I've had enough. I have a rest and then I get back to it. I'm powered by the purpose. And, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's fantastic. Are you still, are you still, um, uh, are you doing any other stuff in and around, you know, like you did with the business chicks, um, you know, overseas and stuff like that? Is any of that on your radar with what you do? Or is that really now? Um, your passion is, you know, changing the way builders engage and interact around, uh, you know, their clients um, around Australia. Oh, we were able to contribute to the Hunger Project last year on behalf of the members who joined the Home Method, my online program. Um, yeah. So that was really exciting to be able to do that because uh, through the investment that we made um, from the from the investment that they made in the Home Method, uh, we were able to set up uh, a whole series of uh people being taught how to read, which is an incredible first step in them being empowered to be able to change their future. Um, I'm incredibly passionate about Business Chicks. I think it's an extraordinary uh, organisation and network. And um, now I'm looking more at what I can do inside the industry. The construction industry has uh, huge challenges around mental health. Um, Mm. It's one of the highest suicide rates in the construction industry. So 
um, you know, we're really working at what we can do to just improve the experience of building and renovating for everyone involved, not just the homeowners, but also the builders and the designers and those types of things. So we've got lots of things in the works in terms of how we can really support those in the industry in that way. So they in turn can support their clients and homeowners uh, to just have a much better experience of the whole process. Fantastic. Well, it's been uh, it's been amazing to have a chat with you today. Sounds like you've got so much on, and I can really feel the passion and and the purpose. Uh, you know, uh, across the the internet, across the NBN, um, how we're connecting today. So, really appreciate you joining me and the listeners today, Amelia. But I always ask a question. This one question of all of my podcast guests, um, and that question is: What is the true meaning of wealth to you, Amelia Lee? The freedom to wake up every day and choose what you get to do. Like it, succinct <laughs> and, uh, and, and lovely. That's on the spot. Well, yeah, yeah, well, there you go. I tried to, I tried to surprise you, but uh, I think you nailed it there, that's for sure. <laughs> well, well Thank done. So for, much, for those still listening in, uh, they can find you at Undercover Architect, um, your podcast and uh, your new online course you don't do any one-on-one coaching anymore it's the online um course the home project is the home the the home home method and the the home yeah the home stands for create a home with heart be organized whilst do your project get mentored along the way and be empowered to create the home of your dreams i like it awesome so uh, anyone wants to track amelia down highly highly recommended from my neck of the woods and i know many of our clients have sought you out as well as my wife loves you um Mm -hmm. so uh thank you for joining me on the podcast today And um, I look forward to catching up with you again soon too. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fantastic to chat. Hey, thanks for joining us on The Wealth Faculty. Hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe. Where all good podcasts are found, you can find us there. And if you want to watch it, you can subscribe on YouTube, Positive Mentor TV. And until the next episode, take care. Bye for now.